Saturday at 3:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 12:30 p.m. Local Pacific Standard Time, there is a top 10 matchup brewing in Seattle, Washington. The number eight Oregon Ducks travel to take on the number seven Washington Huskies in a rivalry game that, in the past two decades, in this century, has heavily tilted in Oregon's favor. The Washington won last year's matchup by a score of 37 to 34, and they have had some dominant wins, like I believe their 70 to 21 win in 2016 when the Huskies made the playoff. And the Oregon Ducks had their worst year of the 21st century, going four and eight. Mark Helfrich got hired. Willie Taggart got hired after him. Then Cristobal. And then when Cristobal went to Miami, Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator who was the architect of Georgia's historically elite defense in 2021, Oregon poaches him from Georgia. And within a year, Dan Lanning has this team humming. They went ten and three last season, and this year, you're seeing more of Dan Lanning's own imprint on this team as the defense has really taken a step up, while the offense just continues to get better. For Washington, they also have had a sense of change in the realm of coaching staff. Chris Peterson was there for several years after he left Boise State. He abruptly retired. Jimmy Lake, a defensive assistant of his, defensive coordinator, was hired to take his spot. He was suspended in the middle of the 2021 season when his team was just playing some of the worst football in the Pac-12 for punching a player. He was fired at the end of the season, and then Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State, who was an offensive coordinator at Indiana and helped develop Michael Penix there. Now him and Penix are reunited and leading one of the country's best offenses. DeBoer was hired, and Washington immediately took off offensively with Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, Taj Davis, and Jalen McMillan and Jack Westover, along with many others. Uh, they even had Wayne Talupapa, who was a great running back, and unfortunately Cameron Davis, who also saw plenty of action in 2022. He can't be playing in this game or for the entire season due to a preseason injury, which stinks. We all hate injuries here on College Football with Sam. But welcome back, guys. As I've already stated, it's your host, College Football with Sam. And today we're discussing a matchup that I'm pretty convinced, looking at how impressive these teams are, that this is going to be the future Pac-12 title game. And for Oregon and Washington fans watching this video, I hope several thousand of you are watching right now, I encourage you especially to hit that big red subscribe button and click the notification bell and like this video and share it all around to as many Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA fans as you know, because I am a Big Ten-centered college football channel. I'm trying to cover more conferences and cover the whole broad landscape of college football, but I mainly focus on the Big Ten. This is the best Big Ten football YouTube channel, and we're trying to make it better. And you subscribing to the channel and helping us reach 20,000 subscribers by the end of the 2023 season helps everyone out. So impressive analysis, in-depth videos, that's what you're getting with College Football with Sam. And let me tell you something. These two teams are not just top 10 teams. 
as you will see in my top 10 entering week seven, I think these are top four teams. And Potential Power, which is a power ranking system that I am developing to help predict games, it had a about 500 record against the spread and about a, you know, accurately predicted games about, I think, 66 to 75% of the time. Last week was a its worst week so far, but Potential Power has been only predicting games for three weeks. Potential Power is fairly accurate at predicting games, fairly accurate at power ranking teams. As of now, though, it's still in its alpha beta stage. It views these teams as top five teams. So this matchup, I think, at a national stage is even being undersold. These teams can win a national championship. They can reach the college football playoff. And depending on the chaos within the Pac-12, the fact that USC looks down, UCLA all of a sudden is this defensive powerhouse, but Dante Moore and the offense have all of a sudden been exposed as somewhat paper tigers. Utah, we don't know about their quarterback spot. And Oregon State is extremely suspect on defense for the talent they have. Oregon and Washington, we don't even need to talk about Washington State. I think that they're in a similar boat to UCLA, except it's their defense that's bad and their offense is good. But Oregon and Washington, I think, have pulled away from the rest of the Pac-12 at this point. And potential power, which I'll be talking about more in a few minutes, would agree with me. If you're curious about potential power, which right now has a more than positive record against the spread and an even better record at predicting games, only Power 5 matchups, though it only delves in the Power 5 for now, check out my Patreon page via the link in the description, because tomorrow, potentially tonight, if I have time, there will be a post ranking all Power 5 teams from 1 to 69. All 68 Power 5 teams, including Notre Dame, given their respective point totals, which you can use to predict how much each team would beat another team by or lose to another team by in a neutral field. So check out my Patreon page via the link in the description. But this matchup, I'm, I'm telling you, it's crazy. Two teams that have incredible offenses, but also have defenses that matter. That was the weakness of both of these teams last year, was defensively or just some other nooks and crannies of the team when it came down to clutch moments or needing to win or maybe needing that hot start against Georgia, even though that's unfair. First game of the season, Dan Lanning was facing his former head coach, and that Georgia team was just awesome. Things couldn't get going in the way that maybe Lanning or DeBoer wanted them to go. This year, it's different. Both of these defenses have improved. Washington, despite the fact that they only have think six sacks and they have one of the lowest pressure rates in college football when you only look at sacks is in my opinion very impressive on the defensive front according to pro football focus they have the one one of the better defensive tackle rooms in the nation and they do have solid defensive end players as well in fact they have nfl players in the edge position oregon they brought in Jordan Birch at the edge position, and they also have one of the more highly rated defensive tackle rooms in all of college football. And their secondary is improved. The linebacker core for both of these teams is good. And I'm just impressed with the job that these coaches have done. I think that right now, if you look at college football from a recency bias standpoint, which 
There are some risks in doing that. May not be the most helpful in predicting games, especially between, you know, a proven coach and a coach that maybe we're very high on, but he doesn't have a lot of evidence or a large sample size of games. I think currently, recency bias standpoint only, so don't overreact to this. I think DeBoer and Lanning are top 10 head coaches in college football. From a recency bias standpoint, obviously, they still have a lot to prove. This season will help. But right now, looking at Lanning's resume at Georgia, where Kirby Smart's a defensive genius, but Lanning becoming the main guy, he took that defense to a whole different level. Amazing recruiter, guy who backs up his word, commands the locker room. He is what you want in a young head coach. Um, Ryan Days of the world, guys who come in to any given program and succeed, whether it's he's put in a good place or a bad place, that's very rare. Ryan Day inherited a very good situation, but he reached 50 wins in 56 games. That's incredible, regardless of whether he took over one of the most elite programs in college football history or not. Oregon doesn't have that same blue blood status, but Mario Cristobal was recruiting well, and Alex Mirabal, their offensive line coach, left Lanning's offense with a lot to work with up front. And getting transfers like Bucky Irving from Minnesota and having Troy Franklin at wide receiver and getting Bo Nix from Auburn and helping him develop, that set Oregon off, pardon me, on a right path. And Lanning was the architect of that. And Kalen DeBoer, again, bringing in Michael Penix to compete for that starting quarterback job. And Jimmy Lake and Chris Peterson recruits were there. And all DeBoer had to do with Ryan Grubb and his staff was just develop them and put them in proper positions to win. They have done their job and then some compared to previous head coaches at Oregon and Washington, respectively. So I'm very excited for this game not just from a Big Ten perspective or a Michigan fan perspective, but also from a college football perspective. These teams right now would beat so many SEC and Big Ten teams, even some of the better ones, and I think they would beat any other team in their conference, in the Big 12, or the ACC. Any team on a neutral field in the conferences I mentioned. I think Georgia, Michigan, maybe Ohio State, Maybe Texas, if they get their act together, those teams could be favored against Washington, Oregon on a neutral field, or they would more, they'd be more likely to beat these teams on a neutral field than the other way around. But that's a small handful of teams with elite talent, high returning production, or some of the best coaching in college football. These teams are in that category. According to potential power, Oregon's third. And Washington's fifth. Um, I'll give you a hint. Georgia is fourth in potential power. If you want to get the whole list, you can watch more of my preview and prediction videos where I rank every team featured in those videos with potential power. Or you can check out my Patreon page again and, and subscribe as an All-American or Heisman patron. But the fact that these teams are in the same company as Georgia... And potential power isn't just my eye test or analytics as I see them. To help alleviate any potential bias, I also include neutral, unbiased, points per play margin, and yards per point margin statistics. 
that helps both of these teams, especially Oregon, who's ridiculously high in both of those metrics. Washington's just above average. That helps put them in these positions. And looking at ESPN's football power index, Oregon is sixth in game control. They're sixth in average in-game win probability. Washington's first in those. They're ahead of Michigan, Oklahoma, Georgia, teams that have been dominant in one way or another. Washington does get home field advantage. And looking at what my subscribers and community contributors have said, this is being treated as a coin flip game, factoring in home field advantage. And I get that from Vegas too. And I think that plus potential power telling me that Oregon is the team that should be more likely to win or that should be favored despite being on the road and what ESPN's FPI tells me, that communicates to me all of that data and opinion that Oregon is viewed as the better team. And that's very understandable. Looking at points per play margin and yards per point margin, they are the better team. Looking at the blue chip ratio, they are the better team. Oregon, according to the blue chip ratio, is actually capable of winning a national title. You can't say the same thing for Washington if you follow the blue chip ratio rule, which is you can't win a national title or to a certain degree really even contend for one unless your roster has 50% or more four- and five-star players. Now, obviously, there are exceptions to the rule, and there are plenty of blue-chip heavy programs like um, Cough, Miami, and Texas who just repeatedly blow their diaper every year. But we won't talk about that. Um, Oregon is really efficient with the talent they have. Washington, I would say, even more so, factoring in they don't recruit as well. And yet their offense, I think, is better. Granted, Oregon's defense is better. Husky Stadium, so the Huskies have the home field advantage. Washington's favored by three, according to Vegas, which really says that on a neutral field, these teams are equal. Washington just has home field advantage. According to potential power, Oregon on a neutral field is four points better than Washington. And we can safely assume that this is likely going to be a high-scoring affair. So, you know, Oregon would be favored on a neutral field to beat Washington, let's say, by a score of 42 to 38, for example. That's that's about what potential power and our intuition, and also looking at the fact that both of these offenses are phenomenal, while the defenses are good, great, but they're definitely not elite-level defenses. They're not like Ohio State's, Michigan's, Penn State's, or even Georgia, despite some of the struggles that they have had. They're not those level of defenses. And FPI, specifically ESPN's efficiency index, which I think is more reliable, backs this up. Washington has the best offense in all of college football, according to efficiency, which I would agree with. Oregon has the third best offense, according to efficiency. Oregon, though, has the 13th best defense. Washington is the 23rd best defense. And Washington's second overall in efficiency, Oregon is third overall. What potential power sees is more so the points per play and yards per point margin side of things. If we only take into account what I see from the eye test and what pro football focus and player statistics say, I think Washington's the better team and potential power would think Washington's the better team. But looking at Oregon and the neutral statistics... Those back up the Ducks. The Ducks have a much higher points per play margin and yards per point margin. 
And the Ducks' offense as well is much more balanced. Washington runs an air raid naturally, and then with Cameron Davis's unfortunate injury, their air raid is even more exaggerated. Literally, Michael Penix runs the entire offense, along with Roma Dunze, uh, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, Jeremy Bernard, Jack Westover. Dylan Johnson's hitting some strides in the running back position, but it's nothing compared to Noah Whittington and Bucky Irving, and I think Jordan James is one of their younger running backs who's really breaking out. But what I was, where I was going with that is Washington's offense is pretty one-dimensional, and it's succeeding that way. And you know that when Washington's wide receivers are lining up in the Wildcat, running it in for touchdowns, or they're using end-arounds in the red zone, they don't have a reliable run game. Oregon's run game is one of the most explosive in the country. They're averaging 7.1 yards per carry. So we like balance on college football with Sam. And we like balance as college football fans. So balance, I'd say, goes to Oregon in a lot of respects. Home field advantage goes to the Huskies. I would say right now, efficiency. I'd be in agreement with ESPN here, though sometimes I disagree. I'd say efficiency goes to the Huskies. They're working off of less talent. They had a critical injury at running back. And they used the portal less, albeit they returned more. And so far, I do think the Huskies have been the more dominant team. Then again, Oregon went on the road to Texas Tech early in the season, and they came away with a clutch win. So Oregon's been battle-tested battle more so. Washington did go on the road and play Arizona State, however, or Arizona, rather. And Arizona looked impressive against USC. I think Arizona's now starting quarterback, as Jaden Delora, I think, is still injured, but previous backup, I think, could be better than Jaden Delora himself. But... Both of these teams are top five in potential power. You'll see that I have both of these teams placed inside of my top four, more specifically top three, when I release my top ten teams video tomorrow. Both teams are undefeated. Both were on a bye in week six to give them some extra preparation for this intense rivalry matchup. The position advantages I give might be deceiving. You may be saying, well, we know that Sam is going to pick Washington to win. It's not that simple. Um, speaking of this, tell me down below if you want me to not just show where the position edge goes, but how extreme the disparity is. Like, is Washington's offensive line better than Oregon's, you know, 8-1? to one? or 9-1, to one, rather, like out of 10 total points? Or is it more like 5.5 to 4.5, like a very close a very close comparison, but ultimately it goes to one team? Because Oregon has a big advantage at running back. A hu I mean, a humongous gap at running back. If, if you try and argue to me that the Huskies have a better running back room, either you're God's gift to this planet, or you're insane. I'd prefer to think the latter, and I think the evidence reflects that. Defensive back, I think Oregon has a sizable advantage as well. Kyrie Jackson has had a good year so far. Despite Oregon losing several NFL players from their defensive back room, they've reloaded pretty well through the portal. Tysheem Johnson, Evan Williams at safety, they've been great. Dante Manning, opposite corner of Kyrie Jackson, he's been performing well. I look at how Oregon's secondary is operating. And, and they, look, 
they limited Colorado's passing attack pretty well. They forced Tyler Show to throw three interceptions, and then Jordan Birch, Casey Rogers, Popo Amove, um, Taki Taimani, and Brandon Dorless, and all of those players up front have also done a good job of providing pressure. And their linebacker room is good too. I think Washington has, here's the best way I can describe it. Of the eight position advantages Washington has, almost all of them are debatable. You can debate and probably come up with an argument that Oregon has a better tight end room than Washington, or maybe that Terrence Ferguson is better than Jack Westover. You can debate that while Washington has definitely a deeper wide receiver room, and I think it's very hard to debate they don't have the best overall wide receiver in Roma Dunze, maybe there's an argument that Troy Franklin just hasn't had a breakout performance yet, or a you know as good of a performance as he's going to have in this game, because he's ridiculously fast. He clocked like a, a sub-4440, unofficially. Very talented receiver. And then at quarterback, Michael Penix so far has been putting up better numbers, but we know based off of recruiting rankings and also the fact that Bonix has legs, Michael Penix doesn't like to use his legs, that Bo Nix is a different type of quarterback, maybe one that's better overall, or maybe Penix is better, but situationally, Oregon has the better quarterback. And staff, both of these teams have good staffs, especially offensively. There's Dan Lanning at head coach, Will Stein as the offensive coordinator, and then Keelan DeBoer as Washington's head coach, and Ryan Grubb as the offensive coordinator, also Tosh Lupoy working as defensive coordinator for Oregon. Great recruiter at Alabama and was their defensive coordinator briefly for the 2018 season. But offensive line, very close with Oregon. In fact, Washington is tied with Oregon to go in depth at the exterior of the O-line. Washington is just slightly ahead on the interior. For defensive line, Washington has better graded defensive tackles, and they also have NFL pass rushers, two guys that were projected to be drafted from the defensive end spot in the 2024 draft. And this year, they haven't been explosive, but they have been getting pressure. And I think Washington is a similar situation with Big Ten Team Ohio State, where you don't see them garnering a lot of sacks, but they are constantly getting pressure. This is a Great defensive line. I think Pro Football Focus backs this up. I think watching Washington play backs this up. Watching them play against, whether it's Michigan State or Boise State or Arizona. Of course, this is the biggest test for both of these teams. So we will learn a lot about these position groups more than we ever had um, all season long. But Washington has a slight to maybe sizable edge at every position um, wide receivers where I think they have a sizable advantage. Everywhere else is debatable. You can't debate with me that Washington has a better defensive back room or a running back room, at least not right now, and I don't think running back at all for the whole season. So Oregon has a few massive advantages, and Washington has several tiny advantages, and adding all of those up collectively, these are pretty even-steven teams in my mind, and they're, they're both offensively focused, they both have great defenses, though. I do think Oregon right now, and correct me if I'm wrong, because both of these teams have transfers. Oregon has more. Washington, because of their injury and because you need to have somewhat of a ground game to, in theory, 
maximize your chances of winning, though Washington with their passing attack might totally def- defy that. Despite having more transfers, I think Oregon right now is sort of hitting its stride. And I think Washington, it will take them longer to peak and figure their team out because Cameron Davis had over 10 rushing touchdowns last season, nearly a 1,000 rushing yards. I mean, big-time player. Dylan Johnson, all respect to him. He's been doing better along with Will Nixon. They've been getting progressively better each game. They're not the same player that Cameron Davis is when he's healthy. And Michael Penix, being a quarterback who loves to sit in the pocket, to be protected by his offensive line. Part of that's because he suffered an ACL injury at Indiana and several other injuries, had a hard time staying healthy, so it's smart on him to not risk the health of his legs too much. Uh, Washington's run game, that's a real question for this game, I think. Both offensive lines, I really want to lean in on these offensive lines. On the season, they've each only allowed three sacks. Oregon averages 7.1 yards per carry. Washington, despite injury at running back, is averaging 4.7 yards per carry, and they have 12 rushing touchdowns. Oregon has 16 rushing touchdowns and 1,136 total rushing yards. Washington has 615 rushing yards. Michael Penix Jr. has passed for 1,999 yards. He has 16 passing touchdowns, two interceptions, and he has a 196.5 passer rating. Meanwhile, Bo Nix has 1,459 passing yards, 15 passing touchdowns, and only one interception. Bo Nix having a 184.7 passer rating. And on the ground, he has 87 rushing yards on 19 carries for one rushing touchdown, and he's averaging 4.6 yards per rush attempt. Michael Penix Jr., on the other hand, eight carries, nine yards, and his long scramble is of six. So both offensive lines are elite. They open up holes in the run game. They protect the passer at an extraordinary level. But both staffs and both quarterbacks and running back rooms take advantage of the offensive line's elite performance in different ways. Oregon is a much easier time running the football, and they want to run the football more. Their staff's been wise enough to play to the strengths of their team. Bucky Irving is averaging 7.9 yards per carry right now. Jordan James is averaging 8.7, and Noah Whittington's averaging 7.3. And between those three running backs, Oregon has 13 rushing touchdowns. And Noah Whittington is 146 rushing yards. Jordan James is 297. Bucky Irving is 393. Irving leads the team in carries with 50, Jordan James is 34, and Noah Whittington is 20. They're keeping these backs healthy, they're rotating them, and all this time they're still able to have one of the better offenses in college football and, you know, score, and score quickly with tempo. Much easier time running the football and a much superior set of running backs compared to Washington. And also they have a mobile quarterback, which helps their run game even more with the threat of Bo Nix's legs. However, Washington can definitely pass the football better. You see this in Penix averaging 11.2 yards per pass attempt, while Bo Nix only averages 9. Also, Roma Dunze has 608 receiving yards on 32 receptions. 
He's averaging 19 yards per reception on a consistent basis. And he, along with Jalen Polk, have four receiving touchdowns. McMillan has three. Jeremy Bernard has one. Josh Huevas has one. And Jack Westover has four. So incredible set of receivers and also tight ends. I don't want to forget Dylan Culp, Devin Culp, another tight end who has six receptions for 82 yards. Polk has 468. McMillan is 311. Bernard has 231. Huevas is 145. And Westover is 125. All those numbers being in receiving yards. Washington in total has 2,232 receiving yards with 15 with 17 receiving touchdowns, pardon me, and they're averaging 15.6 yards per reception. Meanwhile, the Ducks are only averaging 11.1 yards per reception. They also have 17 receiving touchdowns, and they have 1,653 receiving yards. Bonix completes 80% of his passes. Meanwhile, Michael Penix Jr. completes 74.7% of his passes. So Washington, I think, is... The better passing offense, in a certain sense, they're the more boomer bust offense. I think they have a higher ceiling due to that receiver room, tight end room, and I think when healthy, no doubt, a better offensive line. But one dimensionality can kill you, and Oregon has a good defensive line. Same with Washington. That's the position I'm most fascinated in, is how do these teams, defensive lines, linebackers, And even defensive backs, because defensive backs and safeties stop big plays, they can help in the run and on blitzes too, how do they affect the protection net around these quarterbacks? That's what I'm curious about. Because if pressure isn't applied, or in Oregon's case, if Bucky Irving and Jordan James and Noah Whittington are held for minimum gain, what does Bo Nix look like on the road? Does he step up or... How does he step up in that road environment without the run game to support him? I don't ask that question about Michael Penix because I think that even if Oregon shuts down Washington's run game, Washington will still likely find a way to score several passing touchdowns. Their offense is their passing offense is that good. I don't think Oregon's even with Troy Franklin, who has 535 receiving yards and seven receiving touchdowns, I don't think their passing offense is that good. But It's still great, and their rushing offense is elite, with a capital E. So how do these defenses, how do they affect the offenses? And I think with Oregon, Jordan James, or Jordan Birch, pardon me, he has to get pressure. Brandon Dorless as well has to get pressure. Imari and Winston and Mateo Uyungale at the jack position, they also have to help Birch get pressure because Washington... Even if Casey Rogers and Popo Omave, even if they shut down Dylan Johnson and Will Nixon, who cares? Michael Penix Jr. will still be able to throw for 300, 400 yards with his tight ends and wide receivers. You need to affect him and get him off kilter. Of course, as well, Tysheem Johnson, Kyrie Jackson, Evan Williams, Dante Manning, Nico Reed, and the linebackers, Amase Funa, Jeffrey Bassa, and Jamal Hill, they have to do their part. But Washington's passing offense last year and this year, not too many teams can slow it down, and I don't think anyone can stop it. So 
Oregon's best bet is to slow it down, and I think primarily how they'll do that, if they can, is through roughing, um, rushing the passer. I almost said roughing the passer. That's not good. For Washington, it's a different story, but with the same position groups. Braylon Trice, Zion Tupulo Fatui, pardon me again if I mispronounce some of these names, correct me in the comments section, Alumu Ale and Tuli Latuli Gessona. Did I get that right? I hope I got it right. Um, those four players on the four-man front for Washington, especially the interior tackles, have to get after that run game, and they have to get penetration, and that's going to be very hard against Jackson Powers Johnson and that interior offensive line. And for Trice and uh, Tupola Fatui, it's going to be hard to get after a Johnny Cornelius and Josh Connerly Jr. It's going to be incredibly challenging. Same with the opposite matchup. Can Jordan Birch and Amarion Winston get pressure and make Washington's offensive tackles, Troy Fatanu and Roger Rosengarten, uncomfortable, and by proxy make Michael Penix Jr. uncomfortable? We'll see all of this on Saturday. Um, and I'm very confident in these offenses, also defensive lines, but I'm more confident in the offenses. I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair rather than a low or average scoring affair. Here are some players to watch for this game. I look at Bucky Irving with Oregon. If he can break off big runs or even just run consistently for four or five yards per carry, the game will decisively go in Oregon's favor. And the reason for this is Oregon having the balanced attack is really going to help. Balance doesn't mean, obviously, you have 30 carries and 30 passing attempts exactly, but you don't get one-dimensional and you don't become stubborn. Washington's offense is right now almost inherently stubborn. They have much better players at receiver, tight end, quarterback, and O-line than they do running back. And the running backs look as impressive as they do at times more because of the offensive line than their actual skill, in my opinion. For Washington, trying to have a balanced approach in the traditional sense, not in the adaptive sense, would get them killed, I'm pretty sure. Air raid, air raid, air raid, if you're Michael Penix Jr. and Ryan Grubb, and I'm confident that will be the approach. Of course, mixing the ground game in to keep Oregon's defense honest. But if Bo Nix is on point, which is a big if, and there's an argument for him to be a player to watch, but if he's on point, then Bucky Irving also has to be step-in-step step playing at that elite level. Because if Bo Nix is doing well, but the run game is slowed down, it's going to be very hard for him to play a perfect game. Doing well or being on point or having a great showing doesn't mean you play a perfect game. It's almost impossible, if not impossible, to play a perfect game in college football. And both of these defenses are too competent for the opposing quarterbacks to go, you know, 30 of 31 or 35 of 37 for 450 yards and you know, four or five passing touchdowns. This is an Ohio State versus Michigan State 2021. This is a top 10 by AP poll matchup and top five, top four, top three matchup 
by my own power rankings and my own personal standards. So everything counts here. For Michael Penix, you cannot turn over the football. You have to complete your passes. You have to carry, to a large degree, your offense. And this falls on your offensive line as well. And for Oregon, pass and run. Test Washington's defense, because statistically you have the better defense. And there's an argument that Washington might have a paper tiger defense. They only got six sacks on the season. They don't have any forced fumbles. I think that Washington's defense is better than a lot of people care to admit, but I could very well be wrong, as I've been wrong a lot this year, but I've also had my moments where I am right. So we'll just see what happens Saturday. But I think Michael Penix Jr. and Bucky Irving for Oregon are the players to watch. Now, let's get to my actual prediction here. My prediction is Washington wins this game 45-39. to And the primary reason for this is outside of the fact that I think Washington is college football's number one offense. And even if they are one-dimensional, I can't see any defense unless it's a top-four defense stopping them. And I don't think Oregon is a top-four defense. I don't think that Bo Nix is going to have a phenomenal performance on the road. And I think it will be required of him to keep up with Washington's offense and vice versa for Washington to keep up with Oregon's offense for him to not turn over the football. This game, I think, will be a shootout. It will. Um, And I think Michael Penix Jr. is a quarterback who's better suited for constant pressure than Bo Nix is. I think that Michael Penix will perform better under the spotlight. And also, he has home field advantage. If this game was played in Outson Stadium, I would pick Oregon to win. Home field advantage plays a huge factor in my prediction, especially given Bo Nix's past road performances. Obviously, he can remove those demons. He can exercise them. But I think that a turnover... I I just think a turnover is likely, and I think that Washington's defensive line is underrated, They're going to step up, and Michael Penix Jr. has been carrying this offense for several games now, and he's had no problems. This defense will be a test for him, though. I do not expect him to throw for 500 yards, four touchdowns, or for him to do what he did against Michigan State where he got taken out of the third quarter. This will be a battle. It will be decided in the fourth quarter. Oregon will have 500 or more total yards of offense, and the wide receivers will step up their game versus Washington, I'm expecting Oregon's run game, while successful, is relatively held in check, at least in a way that Washington can force Oregon to potentially pass the football more than they want to. Um, Strategy? It's always a big part of this game, but whoever gets second-half kick or who receives the ball to start the game, that could be a deciding factor in this game. That's, That's how close I think these two teams are even factoring in home field advantage. I think Washington will get more than 500 yards as well, potentially more. The Huskies, I think, despite facing a great secondary, I think at the end of the day, their wide receivers will still find ways to slice and dice this Oregon secondary, especially with Michael Penix throwing bullets and dimes all across the field. You watch Washington play football, their wide receivers are open all the time, and they have three or four wide receivers with futures in the NFL, whether that's after this season or several years down the line. It's nuts. Oregon is Troy Franklin. 
They have other players as well. I know that for Oregon, Gary Bryant, he's been a part of their receiving game. Gary Bryant Jr. and Tez Johnson and Treshawn Holden are also good players. But Troy Franklin is their only elite wide receiver. Washington is three of them. They have the better quarterback. And I think Washington's several small advantages will try up Oregon's two big advantages, which is their secondary play and running back play. That's all I have to say for this video. Again, very close game. I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon won. I've seen a lot of people, whether it's Josh Pate, college football nerds, many people pick Oregon to win. And part of me is almost questioning the prediction that I made in this video. But I think Washington's the more dominant team. I think people looked at their game against Arizona where they consistently led for two scores, and they looked at the final score more than the actual game, more the in-depth statistics. Arizona is a solid football team. They're a boomer bust team, and they played one of their better games against Washington like they did against USC, which makes me think that Washington's that much better than USC is, but that will be a different game that I preview. 45-39 to 39 is my score prediction for this game. Thank you to my Patreon supporters for sponsoring this video, specifically Spencer Bringhurst and Noah DDLC, my all-American patrons, and Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale, my all-conference patrons. Join my Patreon page via the link in the description, where depending on your tier, you will get access to exclusive benefits, and also, no matter your tier, you will get thanked at the end of every video. Have a phenomenal day, guys, and I'll see you all around. Bye-bye.